You're listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church, recorded at one of our worship services. Acts chapter 24, verse 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Chapter 25. Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there, any, and if there is anything wrong about this man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourselves know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Verse 13. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they seated there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix, and when I was, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the men to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evil as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and to be tried there regarding them. 
But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in, and Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that they ought not to, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had, not, had done nothing deserving death, and as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him, but I have nothing definite to write to my lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. These are the true words of the living God. Help us to respond in faith. To God, help us to respond. <laughs> It's a long reading. <laughs> Thanks. Hi, good afternoon everyone. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Alright, it's wonderful. Uh, I'm not sure if most of you guys know who I am. So let me just very briefly introduce myself. I, my name is Zhang Kang. I'm not an elder. Most certainly I'm not a pastor. But I do lead a CG and we meet on Saturdays downstairs at the studios about 1.45pm. Usually at service we sit around the area. So. We are pretty friendly. After service, you want to go and meet them and say hi, and go and do so. Please be friendly afterwards. <laughs> okay, yeah, so for today, I have been given the honor by the elders to be able to share God's word with you guys. And I'm really excited. It's a huge privilege. Um, let me start off by just sharing with you something mundane from last week. It was a rainy, gloomy Wednesday morning. It was very difficult to wake up. But I was working from home in the morning, and I knew that I had to go to office in the afternoon for a meeting. So come lunchtime, I picked up my phone and I called for myself a Grab. And to my horror, the app told me that the Grab could only come in 11 minutes. 11 minutes? Ridiculous. The app seemed pretty apologetic about it. So I was like, yeah, we'll try to find you another driver that can pick you up faster. And after searching for a while, they did. 10 minutes, my next driver is coming in 10 minutes. Ridiculous. And I tell you, in this time and age, where with a few taps of a smartphone, you can connect with anybody, anywhere, all around the world. It's just a few taps of the fingers, and now I have to wait 10 minutes for a grab. Ridiculous. Now, okay, maybe some of you guys work at grab. Please don't be upset with me. I'm just here to be relatable, okay? But friends, what I really want to point out is this, that we are really living in a hyper-efficient world. Right, and things are just going to become more and more efficient. And we want to get to anywhere we want to get to and get whatever we want faster and faster and faster. Perhaps you came here today by MRT and you have to wait for more than six minutes for your MRT. Maybe you'll be like, what, what's going on? Is there a train for or a track for somewhere? Maybe you have to call up Brian sitting somewhere in the back. Friends, we hate waiting. We hate waiting. Not just for Grab, not just for a BTO, not just for retirement. We hate waiting. And you know, advertisers, when they try to sell you something, they know this, they know that you hate waiting. And that's why 
when you try to sell something, what do they always ask you? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Sign up for a free trial now. Sign up for a grown and work workshop now. <laughs> Buy your glow-in-the-dark toilet paper now. What are you waiting for? We hate waiting. Now, friends, I'm not trying to knock on the efficiency of the world that we live in today. It's a great thing to be living in such a day and age. But there are just some things that must be waited for. No, today I know that there are some things that you today are personally waiting for. It's something more than just a craving. It's a longing. It's a longing for something good. Maybe it's like a marriage, or a first child, or financial freedom, or healing, spiritual growth, waiting for a friend or loved one to come to know Jesus personally. Or maybe something more intangible. You're just waiting for that one day where you'll finally be taken seriously by the people around you, where people won't think that you're weird or you're annoying. And friends, these are sometimes things that you don't know when it can be fulfilled. You may not even know if it can be fulfilled. We hate waiting. And so with all these uncertainties, what does it look like to wait well? How can we wait better? I hope to show us in our sermon today that because God is faithful to us, we must wait on the faithful God in uncertainty. Because God is faithful to us, we must wait on the faithful God in uncertainty. So if you have your Bibles open, you can track with me. We are at Acts chapter 25. Um, so yeah, here we are. Uh, let me just orientate us to the text, right? We are at the part of Acts that focuses mainly on Paul's witness. So this spans from Acts chapter 21 all the way to 28. If the whole book of Acts was a Netflix series, we are probably at the final season already. So for those of us who have us in the past few weeks, you have remembered that Paul obeyed God to go to Jerusalem to preach the gospel. Now, when he was over there, before he could even do anything, he was falsely accused and ruthlessly attacked by a mob. And this attack escalated so badly that they had to prompt Roman, Roman military intervention. And multiple times, Paul tried to defend himself against his accusers and even tried to witness to the people that were accusing him. But time after time after time, it just stirs up more and more chaos. And now Paul has become a prisoner under the charge of stirring up trouble. Now some Jewish zealots hated him so much that they even tried to assassinate him. We see that in Acts chapter 23. And so when the Roman commanders who were holding Paul under custody, when the Roman commanders found out that, oh, there's an assassination against assassination plot against Paul, he then transferred Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And Caesarea, as we know, is uh, governed by this person called Felix. So imagine with me how discouraged Paul must have been back then. He obeyed God to go to Jerusalem to preach the gospel. And before he could see anybody come to faith, he became a prisoner in another city. But in the midst of all of these discouragements, Jesus appeared to him in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, yeah, which you can see on the screen over here. This was Jesus trying to encourage Paul. Here's what he told him. Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. The prison cell in Caesarea is not the end of the story. 
Jesus promised that Paul will make it to Rome one day to testify about Jesus. Right? This is important. We'll come back to this later. Now, so in Caesarea, what we saw last week when Dan was preaching was that Paul was defending himself before Felix, but the outcome was pretty inconclusive. There was no guilty verdict, yet at the same time, Paul also wasn't cleared from all of his charges. So Paul remained in custody. Now what happens next? Let's look at verses 24 to 27 in Acts chapter 24. Uh, David read for us just now, but I'll just read it again. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. Now, at the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Friends, I'm not sure if just now as David was reading, we missed out just this one line over there. Two whole years would have passed before we even came to Acts 25 today. In Acts 25, you will see Paul making his defense against the new governor, Festus, who replaced Felix. And then later, before King Agrippa, you see that next week. But friends, look at this. Two whole years just went by like this in one sentence of the Bible. Depending on how quickly you read it, it might take five or ten seconds. But for Paul, this was two years in limbo. No certainty, no freedom, no answers. Just waiting. Just waiting. So how did Paul wait in this uncertainty? And by extension, how then should we wait in our uncertainty? So this is my first point. We must wait on God in uncertainty. We must wait on God in uncertainty. Now, when you see my first point, maybe some of the sharper or more skeptical ones among you guys will be like, oh, easy for you to say. Uh. Easy for Paul to do it. Wait on God in uncertainty. He is the Apostle Paul. But for me, I'm just this average dude in Topayo Lorong 6. What? I'm just an average dude on the street. What was all this thing about waiting on God? But friends, before you dismiss this too quickly, I want you to imagine with me. Imagine with me if you were the Apostle Paul. Right? Walk a few steps in his sandals and see perhaps how easy or how difficult this was for Paul. Right? Just dive into the life of Paul right now. When you're first escorted from Jerusalem to Caesarea, you're under military detention, but at the very least, you think that you can make a pretty strong case for yourself, a pretty strong defense, Right? All, the real, all, the, all those accusers, they have no real evidence against you. If Pofma was a thing back then, you can just Pofma all of them. Now, even though you're discouraged that nobody in Jerusalem believed the gospel, at least you'll be confident that surely you'll be found innocent before Felix. And that's why you tell him, I cheerfully make my defense. Acts chapter 24, verse 10. I might be a terrible evangelist, but surely I'm not a criminal. I'm not here to cause trouble but your confidence in being set free starts to wane when you realize that this governor can't really make a decision on my case. He never actually concludes whether you're guilty or not guilty and he just puts off your case, right? You just put them off. You thought you'd be out tomorrow, 
but you go straight back into custody. For how long? You don't know. Or maybe at this time, your confidence in being set free is starting to drop. So here you are, sitting in prison, waiting and waiting, and then there's a knock on the door. Hey, Paul, get out. Felix wants to meet you. Maybe now's the time when Felix will want to hear me out and I can prove to him that I'm innocent and then I can be set free. So you go in a merry way, you go and meet Felix, and then you reason with him about Christ Jesus, about righteousness, about self-control, about how there's a coming judgment. Surely he must know I'm not here to cause trouble. Here I am talking about righteousness. But after this long conversation with him, he essentially tells you, go away. When it's more convenient, I'll call you. What? I thought after I spoke to you, you would, you would think that at least I'm innocent. So back in the custody, there you go. Your hopes of freedom were being raised, and then it got crushed. Now, a few weeks later, maybe a guard knocks on the door again. Hey, Felix wants to see you. You go out this time, you think maybe I can convince him. Have a long chat with him. Nothing happens, and you go back into prison. Hopes are raised, then crushed, and raised, and crushed, again, and again, and again. We see in verse 26, okay, we see, yeah, in verse 26, that he sent for him often and conversed with him. Right? Each and every single time, Paul went over there, chatted with Felix, and then he goes right back into prison. There's no certainty of when the next time you get caught, you'll be a breakthrough. There's no certainty of when you'll ever get out. You just have to wait in this uncertainty. Friends, many of you guys today, you, you know how this feels. I've spoken to some of you whose loved ones have been struck by a mysterious illness. And you make it even difficult to come to church. Every single doctor's visit was hopes that were raised and then crushed and raised and crushed. And here you are just waiting and hoping for healing. I know some of us who have very good godly desires for marriage and sex and you've been waiting and longing for someone who loves you back equally. But each time you pluck up your courage to ask someone out and you get rejected, it's hopes that were raised and crushed and raised and crushed and there's no certainty of whether you meet that special someone. You know, I could go on and on to talk about those of us who are waiting to become parents, finding every pregnancy test a crushed hope. Or those of you longing for a better job and finding every ignored email or rejection letter a crushed hope. You know how this feels. And in Paul's case, it wasn't even his fault either. He was actually obeying God to go to Jerusalem to preach the gospel and he found himself in such a predicament. So, what does it look like to wait on God in uncertainty? In the text that we're reading today, I think there are two ways in which I, I can see what it looks like to wait on God. So let's take a look at the first one. So firstly, is to remain holy. By that I mean we obey God's commands instead of taking matters into our own hands. Now come back with me to the text. When Paul met with Felix these two years, we realized 
why Felix just refused to come to a conclusion on Paul's case. Let's go take a look at verse 26 again. Can we see that on the screen? Yes. So at the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. This Felix wasn't just an indecisive guy. We realize from this that Felix was corrupt. He was asking Paul for bribes. All while Paul was talking to him about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment, he was asking Paul for bribes. And a coming judgment, mind you, much, much more fearsome than any CPIB investigation. But imagine with me, if you were Paul, what was the kind of temptation that you would have faced? You have no idea when your imprisonment is going to end. So maybe you could tell yourself, maybe let me just give Felix something. Maybe he'll set me free. And guess what? I can go back to continue preaching the gospel. Right? If I'm stuck here, I'm not really being efficient for the kingdom of God. You know, this isn't really a sin issue. It's more like a wisdom issue. This is not bribery. I'm just navigating the realities of a broken world. Now, you might think that this sounds ridiculous, right? This temptation sounds ridiculous. Perhaps in the first month, but after six months, after one year, I want us to appreciate just how difficult it was for Paul to remain holy and not take matters into his own hands. But that's what it means to wait on God. We remain holy in our waiting, committed to his commands, without taking matters into our own hands. Friends, does that language of taking matters in your own hands sound familiar? We all struggle with this, right? It's not easy for me to say this, but perhaps let me just be a little specific. Maybe this sounds like you. I've waited so long for God to give me a godly spouse and he hasn't. So you know what? I think it's okay if I date or marry someone who doesn't really know the Lord. Because who knows? God can use me to share the gospel with that person. Or I've waited so long for this promotion at my workplace. But people keep claiming credit for my work and I get overlooked. So perhaps the wise thing to do is just take a little bit of credit for what other people have done. I mean, it's rightfully mine anyway. Or at least, if I can't do anything about this situation of waiting that I'm in, then let me enjoy a little bit of self-pity. Let me just talk bad about those people who have what I don't have to make myself feel better. You know, this isn't really gossip. This is just me validating my own pain. Friends, I don't want to pretend that there's no moral gray area or nuances in some of the examples that I raised, but don't let that take away from the reality that God wants us to remain holy in our waiting. And brothers and sisters, don't take, me as, don't take this as me knocking you down for your temptations. These are temptations that you, that me, that all of us struggle with, some of us even on a daily basis. I want to validate the reality and the pull of these temptations. They are real, they are difficult to navigate. But as you wait, God wants us to wait on Him and to obey Him instead of taking matters into our own hands. He wants us to remain holy. Now the second way in which we see in the text how God wants us to wait on Him is to remain mission-focused. Remain mission-focused. 
to live to make Jesus known instead of living lives for ourselves. Okay, so come back with me. Imagine with me that you are Paul again. Alright, after being unjustly imprisoned for two whole years with no hope of getting out, maybe by this time you could be regretting your decision to even go to Jerusalem at all. Maybe you could tell yourself, Hi, if I wasn't so stubborn to go to Jerusalem for the sake of the mission, I wouldn't be stuck here. I could be a respected church leader in Ephesus, maybe get married, settle down, have kids, get a part-time job, join a spin class, living my best life now. You know what, I'm, I'm done with this whole evangelism thing. From today onwards, I will put myself first and I'll live for myself. Jesus, I know you told me that I'm going to go to Rome to testify for your name, but I've moved on from this whole evangelism thing. Send someone else who isn't in prison. I'd like to take my life back, please. You know, if you're Paul and I visited you in prison back then, and I heard you say these things to me, I actually feel that it's not that unreasonable. But that wasn't how Paul lived in his waiting. That wasn't how Paul lived in his waiting. Now to elaborate on that, please check with me as I go through what's going on in Acts chapter 25. So in Acts chapter 25, we see that after two years, the Jews are also pretty sick and tired of how Felix was just putting off the case on Paul. They wanted a guilty verdict. They wanted Paul dead. So when they found out that Festus had replaced Felix, they went out to him and pled with him to please reopen Paul's case. And then they found out that, okay, Paul's in Caesarea. So a bunch of them went down to Caesarea. Now, for Paul, he was none the wiser until a guard knocked on his door and said, hey, come out, someone wants to meet you. But this time, it wasn't Felix, it was Festus. So Paul defends himself before Festus again. You see that in verse 8. Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar had I committed any offense. Now, Festus then asks him if he wants to be brought to Jerusalem to be tried over there. So for some background information, some commentators think that if Paul went over to Jerusalem to be tried there. Then the Jews in Jerusalem, we know that Jerusalem is a stronghold for the Jews, right? The Jews in Jerusalem would affect the impartiality of the case and it would work against Paul. So instead of wanting to go to Jerusalem, he accepted his Roman citizenship rights and said, I appeal to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. And of course, Caesar is Julius Caesar. This was the emperor of the Roman Empire back then. His court is in Rome. So every Roman citizen back then, if you were a criminal, you had the right to be trialed by Caesar in Rome. But as we discuss about Paul's citizenship rights, right, let's not forget the real reason why Paul wanted to go to Rome. Paul wanted to go to Rome to live out exactly what Jesus has promised him back in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, to testify about Jesus in Rome. In the two whole years of waiting in uncertainty, Paul waited on God and remained mission-focused instead of choosing to live for himself. Friends, do you see this? Paul understood that his life mission was not primarily to be free from his chains and to live a comfortable life, but to make Jesus known. So even as he was in prison, he wasn't passively waiting. He was continually witnessing to Felix in prison. He was still desiring to make Jesus known. Witnessing for Jesus was what got Paul into prison in the first place. It was what kept Paul in prison. It was then what got Paul to Rome. 
Do you know what this means, friends? Even if Paul was in chains and seemingly stuck, not a single second of his life, not a single second of his waiting was wasted in God's economy. Because this whole imprisonment was just part of Paul's life mission to make Jesus known. Brothers and sisters, we like Paul, we have been given the same mission by Jesus. We are here to love God, we are here to love our neighbour, and the last part of that is to proclaim Jesus, to make him known, to make him look great. God did not give us the mission of living for ourselves. If our mission is to live for Jesus and to make him known, then like Paul, our mission or purpose or meaning is not threatened by our lack of anything or waiting of anything. Because in any situation, we can glorify God. We can make Jesus look great. We can make him known. If our mission in life is to live for Jesus and to make him known, not a single second of your waiting is wasted. Friends, think, think. How does it look like for you to witness for Jesus in your waiting today? Let us remain mission-focused even as we wait. Now, at this point of the sermon, if you've been tracking with me, I suspect that there'll be two groups of people. The first group of people are just very pumped up. Yeah, I'm going to obey Jesus. I'm going to wait on him. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to do it. And there's a second group of you who are just rolling your eyes right now. 360 degrees back looking at me. God, you've given me such a hard life and now you want me to wait on you, to obey you, to continue preaching the gospel. Cut me some slack. Now, I'm glad to let both of you guys know that this sermon is not done yet. I don't want us to leave today thinking that we should just be more like Paul. In fact, if that's all you've written in your notebooks, please cancel that right now. I want us to leave today looking to the same source of hope and strength that Paul looked to as he waited. And this brings me to my second point. We must wait on God in uncertainty, trusting in his faithfulness. Trusting in his faithfulness. Friends, whether today you've been dragged by a Christian friend and you have no idea what's going on and you don't call yourself a Christian, or if you're a Christian and you call yourself a believer, one thing that unites all of us is that we're all waiting for something. But one thing that sets Christians apart is that we have a faithful God to look to even as you wait. So in two ways, let me elaborate on how God demonstrates his faithfulness to us as you wait. Firstly, we see in the text, in the rest of Acts chapter 25, God sovereignly orchestrates circumstances for our good. God sovereignly orchestrates circumstances for our good. How do we see that? So for the rest of the text in Acts chapter 25, we're going to go through it, but it's a little bit peculiar. We don't really hear anything much from Paul anymore. In fact, what we have is more like a behind-the-scenes conversation between Festus and another king called Agrippa. He was a king of a different province and he just happened to be traveling with his sister Bernice. He came over to Caesarea. 
And Festus was just really puzzled by Paul's case, so he was consulting with King Agrippa on what exactly to do with Paul. Yep. Can we take a look at verses 18 and 19? Right, there we go. So, here's essentially what Festus said, right? He, he didn't seem to have done anything evil, like what the accusers are accusing him of, this Paul. It's just a dispute among their religion about this certain Jesus who is dead, but Paul happens to say he's alive. This Festus didn't even really know who Jesus was. And Agrippa also was similarly just puzzled by this whole case. Perhaps he hadn't seen such a thing before. So he didn't really offer any immediate advice. He just said, I want to see this person tomorrow. And later on in verses 23 to 25, Agrippa and Festus, they just enter an auditorium and they give Paul a hearing. And again, Festus says in verse 26, I found that he's done nothing deserving of death. Paul was unjustly imprisoned and they know it. We'll see the details about the hearing next week, so please stay tuned. Now, even though Felix had unjustly imprisoned Paul, we know that he's done nothing wrong. And even though Agrippa and Festus didn't even really know who Jesus was, all these events came together as a chain of events that will lead directly to Paul being taken to Rome. Spoiler alert, Paul makes it to Rome. Jesus fulfills his promise to Paul all the way back two years ago in Acts chapter 23, verse 11. Take courage, Paul. Can we have Acts 23, 11 on the screen again? Take courage, Paul. Take courage. You've testified about me in Jerusalem. Nobody believed you, but take courage. I will see to it that you make it to Rome. You're not going to be stuck in this cell forever. When the time comes, you go to Rome and testify about me. But for now, in your waiting, take courage, Paul. You know, could Jesus have done it by miraculously sending an angel, unlocking his cell door, unshackling him, and letting him walk on water from Caesarea all the way to Rome? He could. Jesus could have done that. In fact, he's done it before in Acts, in the rest of the Gospels. He has done it before. But he didn't choose to do it this time. What we see in the state is a conversation of two people who have no, no clear idea of who Jesus is, playing directly into the hands of the God who is ultimately, sovereignly in control. Why? To fulfill his promises to Paul. From behind the scenes, God was sovereignly orchestrating history for the good of his people. Now, as we read this text, we have the benefit of hindsight. But right there in prison, Paul had no benefit of hindsight at all. He had no idea how he was going to get out. He could only carry on waiting on God, trusting that God was going to be faithful to him. And friends, we can carry on waiting on God, trusting that God is sovereignly orchestrating circumstances for our good. Where you are right now, you have no benefit of hindsight of how things are going to turn out. You have no benefit of hindsight on what the future is going to bring. But you have a faithful God to look to as you wait. Friends, I want to make a short concession here. It bears mentioning that Paul didn't make it to Rome in the way that we might have expected him to. You might expect Paul to go to Rome being extremely triumphant, 
there was a two years interlude in prison. And for the next few weeks, you see that he'll get escorted to Rome, not as super triumphant, but he gets escorted to Rome as a prisoner. And even along the way, he gets shipwrecked. And after he swims to shore, he gets bitten by a snake. Then I sincerely asked myself, as I was preparing for this, God, if you're really going to work all things together for good for Paul, why does a good for him look like this? Has any of us thought of, yeah, God is going to work all things together for my good, so I'm going to get bitten by a snake? Have you ever wondered that about yourself? Why does your best for me look like this? Oh, C.S. Lewis, a very prominent Christian writer, when he was commenting on the verse, Romans 8, verse 28, which I think many of us know, it talks about how God works all things together for good for those who are called according to, to, according to his purposes. Here's what he said. We're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We're just wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. Sometimes what God deems as the best for us may not, that, may not be that our waiting ends quickly and that our longings get fulfilled soon. It may not even be that our waiting could end in this life. Could it be that in waiting, God deems what's best for us is that we learn to trust Him and rely on Him to hold on to the things of the world lightly and to hold on to Him tightly? Could it be that in waiting, God deems what's best for us is that he reveals that we want certain things more than him and to draw us to repentance. Could it be that in waiting, God deems what's best for us is that he wants to use our unmet longings as part of our mission for him? Could it be that what God deems is the best for us is something that we'll never know until we meet him face to face? Friends, I, I don't know what it is for you specifically. But if there's one thing I'm very certain of, is that God has not forgotten you. He sees your longing. He sees your waiting. He's actively working in ways that you do not know to orchestrate all of the circumstances for your ultimate good. And God is not doing that from a distance, holding you at arm's length, showing you his elite uncaring face. Jesus himself came to taste our pains of waiting and to bear it on himself. And there's another way in which we see how God is faithful to us. God gave us his son to reconcile us to himself. Friends, you know, one of the most touching scenes for me in the life of Jesus was the Garden of Gethsemane. In the garden, Jesus was praying, Lord, take this cup away from me. He was referring to the suffering that he was going to endure on the cross for our sake. Now, I don't know how many of us think of Jesus as someone who's like, he's got it all together, he's super gung-ho. I mean, in, in many accounts, yes, he is like that. But in the garden, we really see the human nature of Jesus. He also struggled at the prospect of suffering, just like we do. Lord, take this cup away from me. At the garden, God didn't answer him. 
So he waited. He went out of the garden, talked to some of his disciples, and then he went back to the garden. He prayed again, second time, same thing. Lord, take this cup away from me, if it is your will. No answer. He waited. He went out of the garden, spoke to his disciples again. He came back, prayed the same thing, third time, take this cup away from me. No answers. He waited. One of his friends then betrays him. He gets arrested and he goes into trial where he is falsely accused. No answers. He waited. He then gets mocked. He gets dragged up a hill carrying a cross. No answers. He waited. He then starts getting nailed onto the cross, blood dripping down his palms. God, if you're going to answer me, answer me now, at least tell me something. No answers. He waited. And he waited, and he waited, and he waited, as his breath got shallower and shallower, and blood just draining from his body. As the ninth hour approaches, it became pretty apparent God was not going to answer him. His last words were, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus waited all this time while remaining holy and firmly committed to his mission. Yet God did not answer. Why? It's because through the death of Jesus, all of our sins that separate us from God can be laid unto him. He took the punishment that we deserve for not waiting on God, for taking matters in our own hands, for living lives for ourselves. And he did that so that we can be reconciled to God. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Now maybe you might be wondering, why does God want to send Jesus to die for sinners like us, sinners like me, and be reconciled with people who disobey him and want to have nothing to do with him? Because God is a faithful God. God loves sinners and he will not let our sin get in the way of his love for us. Like what we sang just now, I wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous is my Savior's love for me. Friends, do you know how deeply you are loved by God? Do you know how deeply Jesus loves you? Which other God can say, I empathize with your pain in waiting and I chose to take it on myself to know what you exactly are, what you exactly are feeling so that even in your waiting, you are not alone. Which other God can say, I'll work all things together for your good even as you wait. Which other God can say, I love you. Friends, this is a God that's worth waiting on. This is a God that's worth obeying. This is a God that's worth proclaiming. And God's faithfulness did not end on that cross. Jesus resurrected on the third day to defeat death once and for all. And he said that there will come that one final day and he'll come back and judge. 
but he'll come to make all things right. There is a coming judgment, like what Paul was mentioning to Felix. And on that day, he'll right every wrong and wipe away every tear from our eyes. This is a far surer and far better thing that all of us are waiting for. We're waiting for a day when we can come face to face with our loving Savior. We're waiting for a day when we can get the decisive hindsight for why God made us wait all this while. We're waiting for a day when everything that we are waiting for will be fulfilled and our joy will be complete. We're waiting for a day when there will be no more pain of waiting in uncertainty. And this day will surely come. Why? Because God is faithful. Friends, let me conclude by asking all of us the same question I asked at the start. But not as a salesman, just as your fellow brother in Christ. What are you waiting for? My hope for us is that in our waiting, we hear Jesus speak to us personally to take courage as we wait on a God who is faithful to us. And that we repent from choosing to take matters in our own hands or choosing to live lives for ourselves instead of, of his mission because we don't trust that he's faithful to us. And as we wait in uncertainty for the things of this life, we can watch and wait with certainty for that final day when God will put an end to any pain of waiting. Until then, RHC, let us trust him let us wait on him. Can I pray for us? Lord God, you are sovereign over all circumstances. You are the Lord over all of history. Every second, every moment, all of time is in your hands. Lord, we need you to press the realities of your power, your faithfulness and your goodness to us into our hearts today so that as we wait, we can be strengthened to live for you. And at the same time, Lord, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Put an end to our uncertainties. Put an end to our unmet longings. And beyond everything that we wait for, Lord, we watch and wait for your return. Help us, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church. You can find more of our sermons online at www.rhc.org.sg.